Getting access to treatment can be challenging. Going through treatment can be difficult. The challenges and difficulties are worth it in order to get professional help and receive services in order to live a life in recovery. Sometimes sooner rather than later, the reality of treatment ending approaches. When someone leaves treatment, it can be filled with mixed emotions ranging from excitement to worry. So the big question is, what happens to life after treatment? Welcome listeners to Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier. This podcast explores discussions regarding important issues related to addiction and recovery. Information you learn here is not typical of what you would find in resources or academic textbooks and comes from my experiences as a clinical supervisor, clinical substance abuse counselor, and licensed professional counselor, and really the work that I do with individuals, clients, patients, fellow co-workers and professionals in this field, and we talk about a wide range of issues from to educate individuals, families, communities, organizations, institutions, mental health professionals, educators, and anyone else really impacted by addiction and recovery. You know, treatment is really important, and it's something that as a professional being involved in for so long has been in the treatment of substance use disorder, people with problems with substances or behaviors like gambling, and providing that in a setting that is, you know, professional, that is, comes with licensing or certifications, that comes with policies, procedures, evidence-based practices. So, that is an important part of helping someone to treat their substance use disorder. And when we look at that, you know, a couple years ago, the number of from the National Institute on Drug Abuse was 23.5 million Americans, 12 or older, need treatment for drug abuse. Despite this, only 2.6 million, which is about 11.2%, seek and retrieve, receive treatment at a facility focusing on addiction. Now here's one thing I tell people right off the gate when they come to treatment is, one is praise them for that decision. Because a lot of people don't make that decision. They try and do it on their own. They try and manage things their ways. They don't think there's a problem. The other thing I tell people is that they get the opportunity to come to treatment. It's an important thing that not many people necessarily get. And then if someone comes back to treatment or comes to treatment multiple times, I really reiterate the fact that this is something that some people have never received treatment or had the opportunity to get treatment. And if you're coming back for a fourth or fifth time, you know, keep coming back, but realize too that not everyone has that chance. So take that opportunity when you can. And, you know, completing a treatment program can help individuals with their sobriety and you know really learning to live a life in recovery. But really the treatment program is more of like the beginning part of it. And there's lots of limits to to treatment. You know, it can only do so much. You know, it can't force change. It can't make people do certain things. It can't even stop someone from using. You know that that happens. That happens regularly. It doesn't mean everyone's doing it, but the fact that someone could be using inside of a treatment program is not foolproof. So there's a lot of limits and 
treatment covers a lot and does a lot of things and it creates a lot of components where it creates a structure and environment that promotes recovery you know there's education there's structure there's rules there's support there there's counseling and part of that is it's designed that way so that they can focus on their treatment and you can put all that effort into it and when you leave though a lot of that gets removed so life in treatment in comparison to life outside of treatment can be very very different and if if people are wanting to remain sober and continue working a recovery program from their addiction the work cannot end when you just complete the program you know when someone says okay i've got it you know as a professional we're like oh that's that's not what we want to hear the bigger challenge will be when you leave treatment when some of those things are removed you know one of the sayings in recovery is well while you're going to get help like when you're in a meeting or when you're in treatment that your addictions in the parking lot doing push-ups you know the biggest challenge isn't going to be going to treatment. It will be challenging. I always tell people this is not like the glitz and glam of, you know, come come to treatment and be all smiles and happy and all your problems are going to go away. It's not what happens. I, I'd be terrible for a commercial on treatment, but part of it is it's necessary. It's needed. But it's not the same when you leave. So we have to really look at when someone leaves treatment and they go back to that environment or they go somewhere new, it can't just be a, I finished this and now I'm going there and we're starting over or I'm just doing the same old thing. Do the same thing and expect same results are going to happen, right? So, you know, a big question is, I ask people is what realities do people with substance use disorders face when they leave treatment? So it's kind of like a reality check ahead is what realities are you facing? Issues related to family, issues related to finances, issues related to living, employment, uh, being around certain people, running into certain people, dealing with certain stressors that were around that weren't really there when it was in treatment. The same question can really be asked to other people in that person's life. So what realities do family members and loved ones face when the person is leaving treatment? So I, I think that's a big reality check that I encourage individuals to ask themselves, you know, what realities do you face when you are leaving? And that leaving can vary too. You know, I've had people come into treatment and they don't last the day. I've also had someone as long as 16 months live at a group home. So live there for that long. And that's very unheard of. But there's different types, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, inpatient, outpatient. But really one of the big focus for this is when you go somewhere and you stay there and you're kind of removed from your home environment, you're removed from your social settings, and you go there and you get better and you work on it, 
then when you leave, what realities are you facing? So I think that's for both the individual, but also family members, loved ones, other people who are trying to help them is what realities are they facing when they leave? The big thing is, is there should be a, a plan for transitioning back. And you hear this a lot with like, it's called transi transition plan, discharge planning. But a lot of times student programs address like the transition back into life before completion of the program. And early integration of strategies for transitioning back to, reg to regular life like reminds the individuals that they will eventually complete treatment and they'll be in charge of their own decisions and what they do in the real world because when they are in a treatment setting there's rules and policies that they have to adhere to and when they leave that'll be gone you know one thing like drug testing when they do drug testing inside a treatment once they leave there that might not be something that is a have to do so that reality of it's more be more of that accountability and responsibility is shifting towards that individual really gets highlighted when you start talking about leaving. You want to plant these ideas while they are in treatment and they're in a, a safe and controlled environment that allows them to grow accustomed to the idea that they will be faced with sobriety without treatment. But they need to look at that so they can remain abstinent back in a, in a world filled with, you know, addiction and recovery. So it, it's really important and it's tough. It's really tough. It, it's one of the hardest things to do when someone leaves because there's a lot of times where I've been in programs where we have people who are remaining abstinent, they're doing well, and then when they leave, it doesn't take long to find out what happens. You know, there's, I used to think it was small circles that, you know, people with addiction, recovery, and, and professionals ran in, but the, the more you do this and the more that the addiction issues have been brought to light and talked about, you realize those circles are quite large. So it doesn't take long to find out that someone got out recently, completed a program, and then you find out that they ended up back in jail or that this happens where someone overdoses and, and dies. So it's a really big transition time. It's really important, and that's why we're talking about it. The truth about life after treatment is that the end of treatment is often looked at as like exciting, it's fun, it's rewarding, it's accomplishing something, and even freedom. Some people who felt like they have been trapped or they've been away and, and can't do, they just want to be able to do something, that is a sign of they are be able to be free. So like when that day is coming, it's like the day is finally here. And now I'm going to get to go home. Uh, I don't have to wake up early in the morning and hear AJ talk. <laughs> so part of it is there is all of that floods of emotion with excitement, fun. I did this. I made it through. I completed it. And then it's here. So finally, 
you get to put plans into actions. You get to work on some of the goals you've been itching to accomplish. And you get to walk the walk as opposed to all this time of talking the talk because you don't always get to put your work into real practice when you're inside a program or a facility. This becomes like a moment where there is a, a rise to the challenge and I can do this mentality. But there is also more waiting out there than that. You know, life is ready for you the moment you leave that door. And this includes responsibility and accountability and consequences and impact of your using. You know, sobriety, paying bills, having to work, getting your own groceries, going to certain places on your own, and so on and so forth. So you're no longer surrounded by an environment that provides a lot of support and encouragement and accountability that's right there around you. And even though there are still, you know, rules and laws and all that, but the, the rules and expectations in a treatment program are not there anymore. So knowing that if you don't do your chore, you might get written up. If you get written up, that means maybe you don't get to go somewhere. That doesn't happen when you're home now. And if you don't clean your bed or you don't clean your kitchen or something, it doesn't mean that's going to happen. You can still go do those things. You know, treatment programs are often really filled with a lot of deterrence to use. You know, therefore, a lot of people can enter treatment and stay sober and make their way through that. You know, ideas of immediate consequences are enough to get someone to say, at least I can't do this right now. You know, if I fail the drug screen, what's going to happen if I get caught? If all that kind of stuff is strong deterrence to not use. But when that's removed, thoughts like I can get away with it start to become more tempting. And the addiction substance use is definitely waiting for you right there when you leave treatment. You know, the moment you can say, you know, case of the efforts and I can get away with it, like, that's right, you can. Let's go do this. So even though it's filled with a lot of excitement and eagerness and hope for what you want to do, there's also a lot of other things facing you. There's some fears, there's some anxieties, there's some problems that you have to address. There is some damage you have to clean up. There is temptations that weren't there with you in treatment and now they're there staring you in the face without those things that may have stopped you from doing it before. So it's not all sunshine and rainbows after you complete a treatment program. So one thing that I really do with individuals when they are starting to work on getting out and transitioning back is you know, asking that question about the reality of what they're facing. Talk to them about what they're really going to be experiencing. And a big thing is asking, you know, what, what can you do when it comes to thinking about planning and preparing for life after treatment? 
So what are your thoughts around all this? Where's your mind at? Where's your head at? What plans are you making? What plans have you made? And what preparation are you making for life after treatment? So this is, we're going to tie in, um, and this is the same question that gets asked to family members too. You know, what can, what can family members and loved ones do to begin planning for life after treatment? When that person's either going to return to the very same home or return somewhere else, what can you do about it? In the stages of change, this is where this importance comes in, is stage of change is a part of motivational interviewing that looks at people's change with behavior and being able to identify where they are with a particular things. So when we look at like stopping use, you know, they might be now, they might be at a spot where they are you know, taking action. They've been doing things, they're in treatment and all that sort of stuff, right? But this is where it comes into what we're talking about here. People go through this pre-contemplation, which is, I don't have a problem. Then they go into contemplation, which is, well, I know this is doing this, but I still don't think it's that bad of a thing. And then there is preparation, which is learning things, doing all the things you need to do in order to make that change happen. And then there is the action. But what a lot of people do is go from contemplation to action, and they skip that preparation. So same thing that we see here with life after treatment. Someone gets the idea now that, yes, I am leaving, and this is happening. And the next thing that occurs is the person leaps. Like they're already in that action plan. They're already preparing to leave. They're packing up some things. They're saying some goodbyes to some people. That's not preparation for life after treatment. That's just going through some action for leaving treatment. So what are you doing to prepare for when you go home? And that gets ignored quite a bit. So we want to look at what can people do to prepare for when you are going home. So one thing we want to do is give the education, you know, helping individuals identify, you know, like warning signs of relapse and what to do about them. Educate them on resources, support, opportunities in the community that they'll be returning to. Learning ways to deal with free time, leisure activities, and managing boredom. A lot of that you learn in treatment. We want to help with strategies, you know, creating plans for how to deal with a number of problems or situations that they might expect to experience. So like high-risk situations, triggers, urges. What are your plans for how you're going to deal with that? You know, we want to include family members and peers to talk about what it's going to be like going home or concerns that they have or what they noticed in previous times when they went home, we want to build coping skills, give them the, the skills needed to have the confidence that with these tools, recovery is possible. You can deal with your challenges and obstacles with these skills and tools. If you don't have them, or you don't use them, you're probably going to go back to old ways. 
which with alcohol and drugs and gambling and other behaviors, it's that escaping, numbing, and avoiding. If you go back to that, there's a good chance you're going to go back to those behaviors. You know, one of the things that's really important is building structure and scheduling. And this is why I really like talking about this one, because when you are inside of a place, their structure is built for you. And I've been a part of that where, you know, from 6 a.m. in the morning till 8 p.m. at night, there is a schedule for where you're going to be. You know, wake up, get get ready, you know, shower, do all that hygiene stuff. Breakfast is at this time. Daily meditations at this time. First group is at this time. Short break. Second group, short break. Lunch, third group. <laughs> Counseling session. And then maybe a meeting at night or maybe some other time for some homework or something or an hour or two of leisure. But there is busy schedules to keep people with a routine that supports recovery. Now, when you get out, do you think that looks even close to what people are doing? So I used to do an activity where we had people begin to kind of fill in gaps of what they thought their schedule was going to look like when they would leave treatment. So we would have these big pieces of poster board and people would write down what their expectation of like their job would be of what time, what are you going to do in that. And we used to have people put them up on the board and the group would give feedback and one of the things that we would look at is, okay, I see a lot of this, but where's this? I don't see any of this. Uh, we would see weekends had a lot of open time. Like, oh my gosh, so much open time. And we, people would put down like from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. hang out. Like, oh my gosh, just hang out. What does that even mean? But we know if you don't have anything, boredom's going to kick in and all that's going to happen. And then addiction's going to be right there. So it's important to look at what your schedule is going to be like. And towards the end of this episode, I'm going to walk you through an exercise that I would do with people to help them do that. But it's really important to develop that structure. And we look at all those things that can help with it. And we want to look at what do we think is going to be important for your success when it comes to transitioning out of treatment. So those things that I mentioned were like structure, scheduling, recognizing warning signs of relapse, ongoing support, setting goals. You know, all that type of stuff is really important. You know, we want to recognize warning signs of relapse. You know, recovery can require efforts for months or even years beyond completion of treatment. And most individuals experience multiple warning signs of relapse after completing treatment. It doesn't usually just happen right away. So the key to preventing it is to recognize them early on and responding to them. You know, some examples might be um, fatigue from being overburdened, um, being overworked, working yourself too much, trying to do too much, being dishonest, such as lying to others or lying to yourself about things, changes in your attitude, feelings of being down or, or lack of enthusiasm for recovery and being sober, 
overconfidence in the ability to stay in recovery uh, by disengaging in things like, oh, I don't need counseling anymore, or I don't need to go to group anymore, or I don't need to go to a meeting anymore, or I don't need to use that old thinking anymore. I can do things now, or I can manage without it. And a big one, I think, is really also an unrealistic expectations can lead to relapse as well. Setting yourself up to not achieve something or accomplish something, and that can be very detrimental to someone's sobriety. Signs of relapses are likely to occur, and it, it is something that happens when people complete a substance use program doesn't mean that it has to happen you know people say relapse is a part of recovery I say relapse is a part of the disease because recovery can exist without it relapse the addiction needs relapses to happen you know we look at some statistics with it and this is interesting because you always hear this 9 out of 10. And I think that number scares people. But they say 9 out of 10 um, will relapse or use. And, and there's some truth to that. But here's part of it. So according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, 12 months, right, 12 months, 36% of individuals who complete treatment remain abstinent. So that's about a relapse rate of 64. So if we look at people who don't go to treatment and then, factor that into it, that's why we look at like high rates, like 9 out of 10, 90%. But after that, if they were to have that one to three years, 66% of individuals who complete treatment remain abstinent, which the relapse rate then is 34%. You get that three years, 86% of individuals who complete treatment remain abstinent, which is a relapse rate of 14%. Because of that, I always tell people to focus on that one year. If you can commit to your recovery and a plan and a program for one year, you will greatly reduce the percentage of relapse rates from 64% to 34%. That's pretty incredible. We want to look at support system. Everyone who knows me and what I do knows that I love doing what I do and counseling people. I loved it when I was working with kids in a group home. I loved it when I was doing it at a halfway house, when I was doing it at a residential inpatient program, doing it currently at a medicated-assisted uh, treatment program prior practice, outpatient mental health. But one of the things is that I'm not always going to be there. The staff is not always going to be there. And it's amazing when you see patients and clients start coming to staff and you build that good therapeutic rapport with somebody and you do provide a lot of help and support. There is nothing wrong with that. But what I tell everybody is that you see me for the hour, or you see me for the couple of hours a week, or hour every other week, whatever the case may be, it's not enough of a support system when you leave treatment. 
So treatment often provides that for you just by coming in. You got a counselor, you got other providers, you got other people who are trying to get help. And we include other people. We include like friends, spouses, and, and parents and all that type of stuff. But we look at when we when they're leaving, their ability to rely on a professional support and the network that was built within the treatment program is now going to be gone. And one of the common things with relapse is when someone begins to think, I can do it on my own. And that happens, I think, even more so when someone leaves. And now they think a part of them is doing it on their own. It's time for me to do it on my own. It is never time for you to just do it on your own. There's nothing that says that you have to do it. There's nothing that says using a support system does anything except probably increase your likelihood of remaining abstinent. So when you leave, you got to ask yourself, what type of support do you have? Do you have emotional support, which is someone who will listen to you and who you can talk to? Do you have moral support, someone who can encourage you? Do you have practical support, someone that you can ask for help with like everyday tasks? Do you have mentorship, someone that you can look to for like guidance and instruction? Do you have recreational support, someone that you can go and have fun with? Do you have all of those support pieces in place to help you when you transition back home or wherever the home's going to be? So a support system or network needs multiple people. Relying too much on one person will most likely lead to dysfunction, codependence, and even burnout for that person. You know, be open and upfront about the kind of support you need. Let the person know the, the kind of support you would appreciate and ask if they can provide it. If the person's unable to provide that support, accept that. Find someone else who's capable. Not everyone is capable of providing the support that we need. you got to overcome that feeling of asking for help. There's a podcast early episode of mine. I think it was episode four, but it's called Asking for Help. So listen to that one about how to overcome it. And communication. Communication is the lifeline and energy that makes a support network possible. A lack of communication turns off the power, it disconnects the support, and then you're left to do it on your own because that's partially what you've done. We want to set goals. You know, when you leave, what is your goal for addiction recovery? Maybe when you came to the treatment program, your goal was to stop using. Maybe your goal was to learn ways to maintain sobriety. Maybe you've done all that, but what are your goals now that you are leaving treatment? We create treatment plans, which have a ton of goals. Some places I've worked at, there is a ton of goals, pages and pages of goals. Other places, there's only like a page. But you go to treatment, you identify some goals. Well, when you leave, you want to have an idea of what you are going to be working on or what you want to work on. You want to set goals as far as preventing relapse, goals for family. What are your goals for social and community? What are your goals for leisure and personal time? What are your goals for work and education? What are your goals for dreams, accomplishments, and all that type of stuff? 
you need something to work towards. Because sometimes people do all that hard work in the treatment setting. And then when they leave, it's like their goals, what they're working towards stops. That's why you got to be in that reevaluating your goals and identifying new goals. Maybe these goals are done and they're accomplished. So why am I even identifying them as goals anymore? So looking at all those goals in all different areas. Leaving treatment is like one of the most significant transition times. You know, this is like a, call it like a make it or break it point. Where it will not take long to see if someone is continuing towards their new life in recovery. Or have they returned to their old ways of addiction. You have to think that life after treatment will be different. There are some positive things to that. There are some negative things to that. There are some things we do not know. But just simply leaving treatment isn't a, I've succeeded, I've got this, and now we're all done. There'll be mixed feelings of success, relief, joy, but then fear, worry, concern, doubt, and all those sorts of things. And sometimes those good feelings, too, can lead people to thinking, I've got this, um, I'm done with all the whole, all the hard work, everything should be easier now. Life doesn't get easier when you leave treatment. It just gets more manageable with what you've learned and what you've accomplished. It can get more difficult in the earlier transition after leaving treatment. But one thing's important is that just because treatment's finished doesn't mean that your issues have stopped or they're no longer there. But you're now put back into like a environment or the environment in which you struggled to in the past. Because if you did it there, you wouldn't have come to treatment. So where you're going back to might be one of the very same areas and places in your life that you were unable to stop using. And that's why you get to get help come to a place to get services so I, I don't want people in treatment forever you know I don't want people to be in programs for all their lives like uh, inpatient or residential you know people need to return home I do think there's a lot of times where people need to be removed from home or their environment to get help. But at some point that will happen. Even my guy who was there for 16 months eventually had to go home. Sometimes people go home much sooner than that. But it's such a really important time that we have to pay more attention and plan it and put a lot more focus about it. So here's what I would do is a couple years ago I would have you know, someone who's like preparing for discharge and it might be in the next week or two, um, something like that. And focusing on what they were doing in treatment didn't matter as much. They're ready to go home. We were either talking about them accomplishing their goals. They've maintained sobriety. They are actually working their way out. So what they were doing inside of treatment wasn't really matter as much as what they were doing to prepare for being out of it. So here's what I would do. 
I would tell people maybe like a week or two before you leave to spend some time maybe at night or just sometime throughout the day is I want you to take moments and think about what would I be doing now if I was back at home. I want you to visualize what would happen if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were waking up in your bed at home. And I want you to start thinking about what is going to happen. What are you going to do? You can't say, I'm going to go down to group with AJ at 8.30 in the morning. That day, while you're still in treatment, yes, you can. But if we're talking about visualizing how it's going to be when you're not there anymore, you can't think that anymore. So if you wake up and say, okay, now I'm up, I'm imagining what I'm going to do. What are you going to do for all that time? Well, I'm going to eat something. Okay, well, imagine yourself doing that, putting some breakfast together. Maybe you're having some cereal or making some pancakes, whatever the case may be. But then what are you going to do after? In treatment, you know what that's going to be. So I encourage people a lot to use visualization as a technique to prepare themselves to start to see and feel what they're going to experience when they go home. I tell people when it's a Friday night and you're at the treatment program and you're watching a movie and you're with everybody and then after the movie it's going to be back to rooms and lights out, what are you going to do on a Friday night in general? What are you going to do on a Friday night if you just watched a movie and now you had a lot of energy and you want to go do something? When you're in a group home and you're in a treatment program, not much you can do, if anything. But when you're home, there's a lot more to think about now. So life after treatment is usually going to happen. No one stays in treatment forever. But it's important that we start to prepare for transitioning into life after treatment before it starts. Not waiting till it happens to see and say, well, we'll see what happens. No, we need to figure out what you are going to do. What are your plans for it? What are you doing with those plans? Are you putting anything into motion or is this right now just lip service? So it's really important that you prepare. That's probably one of the biggest things is prepare and plan. That's your one-two punch. Prepare and plan for life after treatment. And this has been such a growing topic. It's even one that at the current clinic I'm at, two of the counselors started a group called Life After Treatment. And I've been talking about this for quite a few years it's just never going to go away. You know, whenever someone goes somewhere to get help and they stay there and they live there, there's going to be a moment where they leave and return or they leave and go somewhere new. That part of what happens after treatment is the one of the biggest transition times. I enjoy it, but I also get terrified of it. Because I'm very proud and very happy for what the individual has done, that they have made progress to where they can return home. 
but I'm also terrified because I know that's a lot of times when I hear things don't go that well. Like I said, I find out someone gets arrested and they're in jail or someone experiences an overdose and they're in the hospital or they had an overdose and it was fatal. So we can't be afraid of it to where we can't move forward, but we have to find a way to make that transition back. And that is with planning and preparing. We got a lot of guests coming up in the next couple of episodes. We have a few lined up that I'm really excited for. So going to be showing some things about them. They come with a lot of variety of backgrounds and experiences and what they're doing for addiction, recovery, and mental health. Got some podcast hosts, authors, um, people doing some amazing creative work. So these next couple episodes, we're looking at having some, some guests on here to share some of their work and their stories to help with people dealing with addiction, recovery, mental health, and other stuff. So pay attention. Look to see who's coming on. I'm going to post some things on social media, so make sure to follow the Talking Addiction Recovery Instagram and Facebook page. And if you like what you hear and you learn something, please go to any of the podcast platforms where you can rate it. I love seeing comments, suggestions, ideas, and getting an idea from the audience on what to talk about. So greatly appreciate it and continue to do that so I can give you some of the information and knowledge that you are wanting to hear. As always, thanks for listening and hope you learned something.